Welcome to Warsaw Evangelical Presbyterian Church's podcast. We'd love to worship with you today. You know, I, I really am. I'm so grateful, and I, I'm so excited that we have a chance to continue on in uh, our sermon series that we've entitled Interwoven. And I really think it, it's a beautiful thing how God has woven together all of the different parts of the church into this beautiful tapestry, into this beautiful quilt uh, that we call the body of Christ. And throughout this series, we've been trying to follow kind of a progression of thought. I hope you've been able to see what we're talking about. All the way back in week one, we were saying how it was God who created us. It was God who crafted us. There is nobody on earth that is quite like you. And so we were created in the image of God. And then uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Andrew was talking about how we were interwoven together as female and all that comes along with that. And then last week, we were talking about how God created us as, as men and what does that mean. And if you've been following along, what that means is maybe on a day like today, we would say how we have been interwoven together for partnership, how God has created us as both men and women to be together as a body of Christ. Now, here's what I want us to be sure of. Lest we think that marriage is the pinnacle of what it means for us to be woven it together as partners, let's remember that Jesus himself was single. Whether or not you are single or whether you are married, it's important for us to remember that we have been woven together for partnership. That you and I have been woven together to complement each other, not to compete against one another. We know that in our society, it's often the case that we find ourselves competing with those of the opposite sex. We have movies and we have plays, right? Anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than new. No, you can't. Yes, I can, right? We, 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 we compete against each other. In fact, you have games that are built for this. How many of you have ever played the game Battle of the Sexes, right? Uh, it's a game, I'll let it describe itself. This is what it says. It says, you'll never understand them, so you might as well defeat them in the battle of the sexes. This hilarious trivia game pits men versus women in the ultimate showdown to decide which sex is truly superior, right? Now, here's the thing. God created us as different from one another, but that doesn't mean that we should battle against each other. In fact, one of the favorite games that we have in our household, a game that has long since been discontinued, it was long discontinued before we even purchased it, but we were able to find it is a game called Compatibility. It's a game in which you partner with someone else, oftentimes your spouse. You're given 40 picture cards, and there's all kinds of different pictures from clowns to skyscrapers to, you know, a couple embracing. And then you turn over a word card, like stress. And the point is, you have to pick a 
certain number of cards, of picture cards, that you think mean stress or that you think your partner is going to think means stress. And not only do you have to pick the right cards, but the goal is also to pick the right order if you can. And you can imagine quite a lot of laughter and confusion when you would say, wait, that is what makes you think of stress, right? But, you know, when we think of life so often instead of complementing and saying we're compatible, what we often see is the way in which we compete against one another. And I really do think that this is a very timely topic. You know, for us to think about the fact men, women, married, single, we are all woven together into the body of Christ. In fact, this morning, I think it's appropriate for us to spend a little bit of time focusing on a particular area, uh, even though we're talking about interwoven for singleness and marriage. Do you want to know the largest segment of our population is not a socioeconomic group, it is not an ethnic group, it's not a group that is based around jobs or professions, it is actually singles. Think about this. In Kosciuszko County, 47% of all adults are actually single. Some are single because they've never been married, some are single because of divorce, and some are single because they have been widowed. And so you can imagine that Sunday after Sunday, and as a church we often put a lot of emphasis on marriages and on families and on children, single people in our midst can come in and say, well, is there anything here for me? What is it that I have to offer to the church? And since so many within our churches too can sometimes be married and the focus is on them, people can easily feel left out. And yet, I think it's important for all of us to be aware of the fact that we do spend a large part of our lives as single. Oftentimes, we will spend the first 25 years on average of our life as single, and many of us will finish our lives. The last 10 to 15 years of our life, on average, we spend as single because our spouses have passed. And so the question is, does God's word have something to say about that? About what does it mean for us to be married as well as what does it mean for us to be single? And thankfully, scripture does say something about that. Now, before we turn to scripture, I want to share with you just a, a cute little story about what does it mean for us, right? To find our contentment in God so that we don't end up going through life always wishing for something else. The story is told of Jake and Jesse. Jake was 92 and Jesse was 89 when they had found each other and they decided to get married. And they were so excited that even in their late ages, they had found each other. One day as they were talking about their wedding plans, they happened to be walking down the street together and they passed the drugstore. And Jake said, hey, let's go on in here. And so Jesse followed him. They walked to the rear of the store. They found the store owner who was also the pharmacist. And he began to ask some questions. Jake said, you know, we're about to get married. Do you sell heart medication? The pharmacist said, well, of course we do. How about medication for circulations? All kinds was the response. Medication for rheumatism and scoliosis, definitely. 
How about Viagra? Of course. Medicine for memory problems, arthritis and jaundice. Yes, a large variety. What about vitamins and sleeping pills and Geritol? Do you sell any of that? He says, absolutely we do. Do you sell wheelchairs and walkers and scooter chairs? Yes, all speeds and all sizes, said the druggist. Well then, said Jake, we're going to register for our wedding right here. But you know, I think we get it, right? There is so much pressure in our society to be married, right? Even if you're 80 or 90 years old, and you and I know this together, you know, if you're a gentleman, one of the first questions you might ask somebody else is, what do you do for a living? And then very quickly afterwards, you might ask, well, are you married and do you have children? Women, you especially know this is the case. What's one of the very first questions that a woman might ask another woman? Are you married and do you have children? This becomes the pinnacle, what we think our identity is in, about whether you are married or have children. And even in the life of the church, we know that we can put a lot of emphasis on what does it mean to be married and have children. And I think we talk about this often, right? We very... From the moment our children were born, and I don't know about you, but we began to pray that God would bring the right spouse into their lives. And that's not a bad thing, right? You want to be praying that as parents, God is going to bring a godly child into their life. But what if your child was called to singleness? Would you be okay with that? And, and, and is our society actually okay with that? You know, would you encourage them in that? Would you support them in that? I think sometimes we look at singleness as something to be dreaded. And oftentimes in our society, we look at people who are single as if there's something wrong with them, right? And, and we ask questions about them. We stigmatize them. But, you know, what I am so grateful for is the fact that the Bible has something to say about that. And so if you've brought your Bibles, I want to encourage you to open them up. We're going to be spending some time together in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to be looking together at verses 25 to 40. And I want us to see how Paul is answering some very specific questions uh, about marriage and about singleness. Now, as you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of background. We were in Corinthians last week as well, so I was giving you some background then. But just to give you a little bit more context so you understand why Paul is writing this. One of the things that we know is Paul is addressing some concerns and some issues that have cropped up in the life of the Corinthian church. Paul has actually been there for a number of years. In fact, in the book of Acts in chapter 18, Luke says that Paul has spent about a year and a half in the city of Corinth. So he's well aware of some of the issues that have arisen in the life of the church, both practically as well as theologically. Uh, Corinth's history actually has quite uh, a long and interesting history. It dates back as one of the oldest cities that's recorded in history. Following a siege in 145 BC, the Romans destroyed the city. All of the men were killed. All of the women and children were sold off into slavery. The city itself was torched. But Julius Caesar refounded the city in 44 BC, and this was shortly before his assassination. This city was known for its wealth. 
for its luxurious, immoral, and sometimes ruthless habits. Uh, We talked a little bit about that last week. To Corinthize was to have sex between two unmarried people. And so when we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we see Paul addressing what was obviously a concern in the life of that church, a concern around singleness, a concern around marriage, a concern around sex. And if you think about it, actually this makes a lot of sense. You have people here that are coming to Jesus Christ, they're, they're leaving behind their idol worship, and they're trying to navigate what does it mean to be a Christian. Imagine a husband who has become a Christian, but a wife who has not. And so they're beginning to ask these questions. Paul makes a reference to not sleeping with prostitutes. And maybe in their minds they start thinking, well, if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and my spouse isn't, am I not supposed to have sex with my spouse anymore? Uh, You have maybe spouses that are coming to faith and they're thinking, well, do I need to leave my spouse behind in order to follow after Jesus? And and so you can imagine these questions that are coming up in people's minds. You know, like, how, how then is the church supposed to support someone who has left their spouse and you've got widows and and children Uh, what's the church's responsibility towards them and maybe they even looked at Jesus and they said well Jesus wasn't married Um, we don't know whether Paul was married and certainly it's possible that he was as a Pharisee you would have thought that he would have been married but we never hear anything about it's possible his spouse died it's possible his spouse left him like once he followed Jesus maybe he was never married I mean we just don't know but you know they look at Paul and maybe they look at Jesus and, and they're like well maybe singleness is actually what we need to be striving for maybe this marriage thing isn't so good after all and so I think we see Paul really addressing here what does it mean to be married as well as what does it mean to be single so here now the reading of God's word he says now about the virgins I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I want to stop here for just a moment. There are some people who would look at a passage like this and say, aha, see, Scripture isn't really fully inspired. Even Paul is saying that himself. He's like, I've got no command from the Lord, but here's my opinion, right? Let's be clear. What Paul is doing is he's referring back and he's saying, look, when I go to the Lord's laws, when I go back to the Old Testament and what has been written, I don't see anything here. But we understand Paul has been inspired by God. No prophecy of Scripture has come about by a prophet's own interpretation, but they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So this is Paul basically speaking out of the Spirit, saying these things. And so he says, because of the present crisis, so you can understand, he says, look, in the church right now, there is a crisis around singleness and marriage. He says, because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Right? We understand that. And I want to spare you of this. What I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those of you who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they do not. 
those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world, in its present form, is passing away. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and if he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But if the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord. In my judgment, she is happier if she stays as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. And I pray that God's going to bless the reading of his word to our hearts and lives today. There's certainly so much here uh, that we could unpack together and really almost far too much time uh, to take it kind of just verse by verse and go through it. So I really want to share kind of four overarching themes, kind of chunks that I think Paul is really addressing here in this passage. And the first thing is this. If you're going to follow along and take notes this morning, it's for us to remember whether you are single or married, Paul says, we have to find our contentment in the Lord. He says, you have to find your contentment in the Lord. Are you married? Be content and stay married. You shouldn't be saying, oh man, remember when I, when I wasn't married, when I didn't have any responsibilities, when I could do pretty much whatever I wanted? Paul says, don't think it that way. Are you single? He says, well then be content and stay single. Don't be asking, well, man, what if it, what, my life would just have meaning or purpose if I, if I had a spouse? You know, then I, then I would be able to find fulfillment in my life. Or don't be thinking, well, because I'm single, I can, I'm carefree. I can do whatever I want with my life and just live however I want. What Paul says, there are benefits to being married and there are benefits to being single. You don't have to seek out one or the other. Being married isn't a sin, he says, but he says it can cause you to sin. Being single isn't a sin, but he says it can cause you to sin. And the reason you and I fall into sin when we're married or single is because we haven't learned what it means to be content in the Lord. 
Paul says this in Philippians 4, 11 to 13. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Ultimately, what Paul is saying is that our contentment needs to be found in Jesus Christ. Our identity needs to be in Jesus. If you think, as a married person, that your identity is in your spouse, or your identity is in your children, then it is very possible that your identity is not being found in Christ alone. If you are single and you think of yourself primarily as someone who is single and you feel alone, then it is very possible that you are finding your identity in your singleness rather than in Christ. Ultimately, finding your contentment in Jesus Christ is being able to say, God, you alone satisfy. Now, let me zero in. For single people, the feeling of loneliness can sometimes drive people towards earthly pleasure, towards material wealth, towards sexual desires. And the feeling gets exacerbated when you're around other married people where suddenly you feel so very alone. You feel like this awkward third wheel. In fact, Mother Teresa said it this way, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unwanted. And oftentimes, singles can feel this way about themselves, that they are unwanted. On the other hand, married people can think that the answer to loneliness is actually marriage, that you have to have somebody by your side, that, oh, if I only had somebody by my side, then I would be able to go and have all of these incredible experiences. But the reality is that your spouse can never be the source of your contentment because your spouse is broken and sinful just like you and along the way your spouse is going to let you down and if your contentment is found in your spouse your whole life is going to be turned upside down in the end jesus christ needs to be your source of contentment. All throughout this week, there has been a song that has been in my head. It's a song by Israel Houghton, and it says, Jesus at the center. <clears throat> it says, Jesus at the center of my life. Jesus at the center of my life. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Nothing else matters. Nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you. Jesus, you're the center. Everything revolves around you, Jesus, you. And I really do believe that you and I would be far better served if the deepest longings of our lives were found always and only in the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter whether you are married or whether you are single. My prayer for you is that you will find God as your ultimate source of satisfaction in the person of Jesus Christ. So find your contentment in the Lord. 
The second thing is this. Minimize the distractions so that you can focus on God. Minimize the distractions. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? I'm not saying that your spouse is a distraction, and so you need to get rid of your spouse, all right, in order to follow after God. Paul says the exact same thing. And he's also saying, you know, that being independent and being single is a distraction. And so, oh man, you might as well just go and get married. Paul reminds us that the answer is either. Instead, whether you are married or whether you are single, you need to minimize the distractions so that you can focus on God. In fact, in verse 29, Paul says the time is short. You and I know that our time on this earth is very finite. It is limited. We know that life is but a vapor and a mist. It is here and it's gone. And we know that we can spend a lot of time focusing on things that don't really matter. And you and I understand this. There are things that are pleasant. There are things that are painful. You know that when you're in meetings, how easy is it to go down a bunny trail and you wonder how in the world did we get here? You know the distractions as a parent of taking your children where they need to be and running errands and being at every sporting event and the books are piling up and you're trying to help them with their homework. You know what it's like when suddenly you just say, I'm just going to check my email for a moment and suddenly you've checked your email but then you know you've looked at a, a news feed and then you go down YouTube and you go down the YouTube rabbit trail and now suddenly like an hour and a half to two hours have gone by, right? You know that we can spend so much time on things that don't ultimately matter. Even as grandparents, you know, you want to love your grandchildren, you want to love them equally, so you're running around at every single event that they have so that you can support them and let them know that they're loved. And again, none of those are bad things. They're good things, right? problem is sometimes we we focus on these things that are good but eventually aren't the things that are eternal and i think what paul is reminding us of is you know we can get so distracted and you and i know this um, it's always we call it the tyranny of the urgent and everything is always urgent right you know it's like this has to be responded to i have to reach out i have to do this but what's happening is we're always led around by what is urgent instead of what's most important. And what Paul is trying to say is ultimately our relationship with Jesus Christ needs to be the most important thing. And so what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians is to say whether you are married or whether you are single, he said, don't let the distractions be the thing that take your eyes off of following after Jesus Christ. He says, look, honor God with whatever season of life you are in, whether you are married or whether you are single. Don't get caught up in sinful distractions. If you're married, Follow after God. Try to avoid the distractions because we know what the distractions can be. If you're single, avoid the sin. Follow after God and try to make sure that you're honoring God with your life. Ultimately, don't get so caught up in the earthly things that we forget about the eternal things. 
And my sense is that Paul really zeroes in on this. Uh, You look at verses 32 to 40, and he talks about people who are married and people who are single. And in fact, in verses 32 to 35, he says this, don't get caught, so caught up in family that you forget to serve God. All right, don't get so caught up in family that we forget to serve God. Now, and it sounds crazy, right? Because we talk a lot about families here. There's organizations that are built around focusing on the family, right? There's a, a great importance, in, and we think, like, well, wait, my family and my children are the most important things in my life. So does it mean that my family and focusing on them is wrong? Again, what I'm saying is it's not a matter of all of these things being sinful, and so you need to get rid of your family. But what Paul is saying in verse 32 is, I want you to be free from your anxieties. You know if you're a husband that your focus, Paul just states it clearly, is on your wife and your children. You're trying to take care of them. And you know that if you're a wife, your focus is on your husband and it's on your children. And our focus can sometimes not be on Jesus Christ. Now, Paul's not saying dump your family so that you can follow after Jesus. He's saying that your your faith needs to be the focus of your life just as much as your family. You know, I can remember when uh, a number of years ago, my, uh, my sister was a student at the Manhattan School of Music uh, before she went on and studied at Juilliard. And one of the days I went downtown, we were living in Philadelphia, it was easy for me to get into the city of New York. So I'm down in New York and I'm visiting my sister. I'm there in the dorm rooms and they had like practice rooms in the dorm rooms. And I got there and there was a student practicing her violin there. I was like, oh wow, that's really cool that you know you have practice rooms right there uh, across the hall from where you live. And she said, yeah. Well, we went out on the town, and so we were gone for six, seven hours, and when we came back, this student was still in the practice room practicing. And I said, come on, do you mean she was practicing that long? And she's like, yeah. She said, look, when you come from a country that has 1.4 billion people, there's a lot of competition out there. And so she's like, if you want to be the best, she said, she neglects everything else in order to focus on this music so that she can be successful. And I think that's a broader picture of sometimes what can happen in our lives. We get so invested in things, we can get invested in our families that we neglect absolutely everything else. What Paul is saying is don't get so distracted by the things of the world and even by your family responsibilities that we forget to focus on our relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, we need to be dedicated to our families. We need to be dedicated to our marriages and to our children. But let me ask you this. How are you doing when it comes to your relationship with Jesus Christ? Are, are you finding that your, your life is so filled with distractions and with work, do you find that, you know what, either sometime in the morning or sometime in the evening, I have a chance to just focus on my relationship with God and to spend time reading his word, to spend time in prayer. I think that's a challenge for us, that if you're married and you have children, to be able to say, am I, am I so focused on all of these other things that I, I'm not focusing on my relationship with Jesus Christ? And so for us to be honest about that and to really challenge us to say, I know I need to spend more time 
focusing on that relationship. And I think this leads me to the last part this morning is this. Don't despise your singleness. Don't despise your singleness. In verses 36 to 40, Paul makes it clear. If you can't control your passions, then get married. All right? If you can't control your, your earthly desires and your sexual cravings, he's like, go. He says, get married. He says, but if you can control your passions, stay single. Notice, in fact, in Scripture, it says it's actually better. It's better. Because that way you can have a life that is fully focused on Jesus Christ. You can leave your cities and your towns. You can leave whatever extended family behind. And you can go. And you can focus on your relationship with Jesus Christ. There's nothing holding you back. And so you can go and share your faith with other people. And I also believe this. That if you're single this morning, you need to know the gospel of Jesus Christ creates a sense of community and intimacy that cannot be found in anyone else or in any place else. And so for those of you who are single this morning, to look at this body as your family, that your relationship with Jesus Christ is that greatest source of intimacy that you can possibly have. You know, if you, if you are single here this morning, we want you to know you have value. You have much that you can teach the church, uh, not only in uh, how you live your life and how you live your life of faith, but also how you live a life of persevering faith, even in the midst of your singleness. And Paul says that, look, if you are single and you're looking to get married again, he says, make sure the spouse that you find is a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, I would, we would say this for anybody right? I mean, the, the most important relationship outside of the relationship that you have with Jesus is the relationship that you have with your spouse. Make sure that the spouse that you find is one who is a follower of Jesus. So that way you're not living with these divided loyalties. But you know, you think about the context in, in which this was written, and you think about the way in which you'd have one spouse coming to faith and maybe the other one not. You know, how do you live in these situations? Paul says, look, if you ever find yourself in a place where you are single again, make sure you find someone who is a Christ follower. And even for you, this morning, if you are in a place where you are single, I would ask you that question. You know, are you focusing then on your own passions, your own desires, the things that you want to do, or ask yourself the question, even in my singleness, am I spending time with Jesus Christ? Is he my source of contentment? Is he the one that I'm following after? Am I freed up to serve the Lord then? And am I serving the Lord in enough ways as someone who is single? Look, people, in all of the things that we have talked about together today, what I pray is we're discovering whether you are married or whether you are single, our first and ultimate priority needs to be Jesus Christ. And I pray that we are living in such a way that as a church, last week I was saying we want to lift up the dignity of women and we want to lift up the dignity of men. I think as a church too, we're being called this week to lift up the dignity of those who are married and the dignity of those who are single because what we find is that all of this is being interwoven together into this beautiful body 
body into this beautiful tapestry that we call the church. And so, beloved people, this morning, whether you are married or whether you are single, my hope and prayer is that in all of this, we are finding our contentment in Jesus Christ. And as we've already been hearing this morning, if you have never found that contentment in Jesus, this is the day and the moment and the hour where we believe Jesus, through the power of his spirit, is knocking on the door of our hearts and lives, and he says, if you open the door to me, I'm going to come in and dine with you and you with me to receive that gift. And if you're in a place this morning where maybe you've kind of forgotten about that relationship, to renew that and to say, Lord Jesus, I know I've gotten distracted by the things of the world, but today I know that I want to be interwoven more deeply in my walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, we come before you this day and we do give you thanks. Lord, we give you thanks for husbands and for wives. We give you thanks for children. God, we give you thanks for those among us who find themselves as single. And we pray, Lord, that our church body together, Lord, we ultimately know that we are the bride, right? That you are the groom, and Lord, that ultimately in our marriage to you, that, Lord, we would find our contentment in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, whether we find ourselves as alone and lonely and single, or whether we find ourselves as married, ultimately, Lord Jesus, that we find ourselves finding our contentment in you. If we've fallen short in any of those areas where, Lord, we've not made you the center of it all, God, what I would pray is that we would repent, that we would turn, that we would begin to say, no, Lord Jesus, I do want you at the center of my life, at the center of my family. Lord, may you always be the center of our church. And we pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.